I'm Heidi Lovett, and I am the Executive Director of Swerve Robotics in Washington, United States. I came actually to Botswana originally um, so that I could start the first Lego League program there and build a coalition of industry professionals and university and government and other interested parties to get involved and, and actually launch so that children in Botswana will have access to robotics. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Heidi. Thank you. Quite interesting to note what FIRST actually stands for. It's an acronym, right? Correct. It is an acronym, and it stands for for Inspiration and Recognition of Science and Technology. So we're going to talk a little more about the league you've mentioned. I want to understand how you got into it. But you have an interesting connection to mainstream global tech in a way perhaps very few are privileged to. Your husband works for Microsoft. Your son works for Apple. Um, yeah, that must make for some interesting conversations at Thanksgiving or whenever you guys get together. It really does. My husband has recently, well, last couple of years, gotten into Microsoft Research. And so a lot of what he does is now open source. My son, however, is working at Apple. And so he can't share anything. That is fascinating. Yeah, it's it's very entertaining to watch because my husband was working on a, a project called AirSim, which allows people with drones to plug in their um, controllers from the drone into this computer simulator, and it uses Unreal engines. And so you can actually fly your drone with really good graphics and practicing practice your flying. You can test out different different things uh hardware-wise on it. And so that's that's one of the projects he's been working on. This is fun. And so let's talk about how you're stuck in in your own right. You're genuinely onto the potential of digital transformation as it pertains to where it could take us rightly deployed. Perhaps tell everyone that story about your son and how this engineer, God blessed you with, nearly ran you ragged if it wasn't for finding an outlet for his creativity and his ingenuity. Yeah. So my, my firstborn son is a very, very inquisitive young man. And when he was little, nearly made me crazy with all of his questions and trying to take things apart. And so when he was about 12, we discovered First Lego League. And First Lego League is a, an engineering program for kids started by Dean Kamen. And it is one of four primary robotics programs. And it is designed for kids between ages 9 and 14 in the U.S. and 16 elsewhere. And so we got involved in the program. I started a team. And just backing up a little bit, my background is actually theater. I have a degree in theater. I went into technical theater because I could build stuff. And the school I was at didn't have engineering. So I didn't know about engineering. Sorry, are you talking live theater? As in yes, live theater. I call it BC before children. Um, I started this team and... I had 10 homeschooling kids show up. Well, I had 50 show up to my first meeting, which was... What year is this? Mm, 2006. So it was May 2006. And I said, I, I'm going to do this. Anybody who wants to come, come by. We'll figure it out together. From your home? In my home. Yeah. So we had lots of people at my house. And then through a period of time, probably about August, we decided that, you know, time to register the teams. Everybody has to cough up money, at which point we whittled it down to 10. And the maximum number of students on a team is 10. So we had 10 kids and I took those kids and some of the kids wouldn't talk to each other. Some of the kids would like had, had challenges of at learning difficulties and things like that. And 
by the end of their first season, they had become a team. They were the one young man wouldn't talk that was very quiet and wouldn't really talk to anybody was presenting helped present their project to the city council and um all of them learned a lot and i i just saw this profound change in every one of the kids and their parents through the experience and we had the the not common the unusual or the the yeah we had we had the experience of actually going to the world championships our first year and so I tell people that I, my experience in first was the anomaly. It's not the norm, but the program still has the same impact. <laughs> I suppose you, you don't want people thinking they could mirror your experience uh, pound for pound or come in with like the wrong expectations of what to get out of it. Is that it? That's correct. I, I really want people to understand that it's really not about the prizes. It's not about the, the trophies. It's about what the kids learn. And just getting to the event, making sure that every team who who signs up to participate actually goes to an event because that's where the magic happens. And when you say world, the world finals or the world tournament, give our listeners a sense of how big this this whole movement is, who's involved, what sort of countries typically uh, participate, and yeah. So um, originally, first was started by Dean came in to help improve our education system in the US. And he looked at what we were doing and what our society is celebrating with science with we were celebrating um, entertainers and athletes, and most kids can't go pro in those fields. So he said, we're, we need to change that. And he put together first. And first takes a sports model and applies it to engineering. So every year, the teams have a new game that they have to play. They design their robots specifically for that game. It started with first robotics. And then they realized they needed to go to younger kids. So that was high school program. Um, then they started first Lego league. First Lego league is the most global of the first of the four primary first fam, first programs. We have teams from. I'm trying to think of all the countries, Israel, Russia, China, Japan, Zimbabwe, South Africa, um, most of Europe, the US, Mexico, Canada. I haven't seen a lot of Asian, other Asian countries at First Lego League, but I, when I go to the First Lego League section of the first championships, I am pretty much focused on Africa. <laughs> Probably part of that has to do with, I suppose, language uh, or, or does it? No, not really. Um, as far as me being interested or... No, I just mean in terms of, in t just in terms of who's p participated sort of organically, which, okay. which countries have come, to, you know, to participate right. so far. Right. So I think, I think really what it is, is who you know. If, if you know somebody who's in the U.S. who knows about it, then they share it. And so like there are teams from Turkey and there are teams teams from China that started because somebody knew somebody in China and oh this is really cool and my kid wants to do it and they started it and it sort of grows from there there is also an aspect of it that is it's expensive this was my next question which is I mean a lot of our listeners are listening in you know all over the continent and they listen to what sounds like an idyllic situation that you have here i mean your husband works for one of the world's biggest tech firms your son another you probably live this lovely sort of upper middle class existence in the u.s that allows you to resource your children in any direction they so please and that's not the reality for a lot of people listening to the show or perhaps 
in fairness, for a lot of people listening to the show, that is their reality because they don't represent the average African citizen. But speaking for the everyday African citizen, how does one see this as something for them and not for others or something to plug into one day? Like speak to, to a parent trying to set priorities for their child with limited resources and ensure their kid has everything they need to thrive in this fourth industrial revolution. One of the things that, that has happened is two years ago, Dean started another program called First Global. And First Global is designed to have every country in the nation, in the world, send one team to the event. So it's like the Olympics, first with the Olympics model. Um, we managed to get 160 teams there. A lot of those teams were sponsored by either companies or by First Global specifically. And we recognize that's not sustainable. So one of the commitments is that we're going to try and find a way to make it less expensive. In the meantime, like I'm here to start first Lego League in Botswana. I know it's going to be expensive, but at the same time, if I can get the industries there that are needing engineers, like the mining companies and, and some of the startup firms and things like that, that I want them to help support it and the government to support it because this will give the kids the opportunity to recognize that they have, they can actually solve the world's challenges, the world's problems, where the school systems, from what I can tell globally, tend to shut kids down. They get bored. They get schools irrelevant to them. This makes it relevant because they have to know how to, how to, you know, figure out the angle that the robot has to be at to, in order to reach their goal or all of those different pieces. They, they, they come away with a sense of, I can, I can solve this problem rather than I'm going to wait for somebody else to do it. And I think that's what Africa needs more than anything is that confidence that they don't have to wait for somebody else. As a kid who grew up um, in a school system that typically frowned upon kids asking too many questions, I can see why a lot of what you're talking about is really valuable. My question is why, Botswana, how, how, how did you decide where to pitch this and i'm really pleased to hear that zimbabwe is already involved shout out to you zim but you you did mention that that there seems to be some i suppose serendipity to which countries find out about it and therefore find maybe a champion or a patron to create a team and take it through but in your case i mean you're coming here to stimulate interest why botswana <laughs> like it doesn't seem like the the obvious place to try and pitch something like this well, there are a couple of reasons. One is I know South Africa already has a strong program. They participate in First Lego League and First Tech Challenge. And I don't know if there are teams here from in First Robotics. I also know that they here, there's a lot of that. Lego is available here. Botswana is not far from here. Therefore, it'd be easier to get the, the equipment. I also know that the partner here is willing to support Botswana. So with all of those pieces, we had the right mix to to actually make it such that it could be sustainable. And that was my goal. I don't want to be coming here as a colonial saying, hey, you've got to do this and I'm going to force it and I'm going to be the one making it happen. Really, I want it to be empowering the people there to do this because it's not it's not right for me to tell other people how to live. Um, so my connection with Botswana is my uncle was in the Peace Corps in the 60s and met and married the first Miss Botswana. Get out. Not no joke. And he took her home. And I have been since I met her, I thought she was the most beautiful, amazing woman in my life. And I wanted to come to Africa since I was a little girl. 
And so I finally got to come in 2015 with my family and I fell in love with Botswana. And that's sort of how I was talking with somebody at the lodge that we stayed at. And she was working with the World Bank at the time and the, their focus was getting STEM into the schools. And I said, I have an idea you need to do first. Here's, here's information. And she worked hard to try and get it together, but she didn't really know what she was doing. She did help us to start the first global team from Botswana, which my robotics team at home mentored long distance. And then I met them when they went to the first, um, the very first ever first global competition. I was there as a volunteer. So I've had this connection and it's just grown and gotten stronger. And, and I have a number of people who have said, please come to my country. And through First Global, I've met people from other parts of Africa who have teams now because of First Global. And so I think it's going to spread. Speak to people who are skeptical of movements or, you know, activities like this, who might be embedded in large corporates, who might right now be in the process of creating priorities for their organizations as far as innovation, how to back it, how to um, invest in it internally, how early to back young people looking to inhabit digital tech and innovation fields, and who might look at a league like this and this whole first idea and go, why a playground? Is this really the first thing we need to be putting in? And I'm asking this tongue-in-cheek because I have a feeling about this, but I, I'd, I'd like to know how you you think about this and whether or not you've ever had pushback on whether or not this is the smart way to spend money, a clever way to get kids hooked on tech or toying with anything to do with STEM. So what I see in developed nations is that kids are almost born with a phone in their hand, their smartphone, and they're playing with those all the time. But that's not a positive way to interact with the world. They can't really engage in solving problems. So in Africa, they're not born with a phone in their hand, mostly. But these kids, the way that first changes them, it helps them to a, engage at a younger age. If we don't get kids excited about science and technology, by the time they're third or fourth grade, especially girls, they tune it out. They don't think they can do it. And they go into business or they go into teaching or mo like nothing wrong with those things. But the technology is where we push the envelope of everything, our engineering. We wouldn't go to the moon if we had nothing but business people. And so we need those engineers. And in order to feed that pipeline of engineers, we have to get them at a young age so that they understand, A, what engineering is, and B, so that they are excited about it. So to me, it makes sense to start at a young age. And there's longitudinal studies that have been done on students who have participated in FIRST. What they've found is that those kids are way more likely to go into engineering or the STEM fields, they're much more likely to go to college. They're much more likely to engage in changing the world. And that's really ultimately what we want. The other benefit, sort of secret uh, sauce, if you will, that FIRST has is it infuses core values where at any given tournament, you will find a team that will come with a robot that doesn't work. Or like in the case of Botswana, when they came to the FIRST Global, their robot never made it. And they were still able to play the game because South Africa had an extra robot and they loaned it to them and they were able to modify it so that they could play the game that and, and participate in the event. And that totally transformed those kids. They came home different than they went. And that's what I think we need to do 
if we really truly want to invest in our, our population and we want to invest in our workforce and develop a workforce that can think for themselves and problem solve, first is the way to go. Now speak to policymakers. And, and I don't know to what extent you, you need policymakers to back your initiative. But I mean, it's also argued sometimes as a criticism of initiatives of every kind. So I often look at some of those criticism and go, guys, well, look, you know, people just want to make things better. But sometimes the criticism is um, certain interventions actually erode the greater good for most people. Um, because it sort of siphons the very best and it leaves, you know, the dregs for the rest and, and all that kind of thing. So I, so I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of policy making corporately around how some of what first achieves through these initiatives can be massaged into the mainstream. There's a place for everyone in first. It doesn't matter whether the kids are engineers by nature or not. I think every kid should participate in first at least once. So to that end, I would say that to the policymakers, they should be supporting it at a at like an a mass sort of approach. This could literally be a countrywide thing. The National Education Department might back. That's what we're hoping for in Botswana. I wonder about the U.S. kids from affluent backgrounds, sort of middle class, upper middle class, must be spoiled for choice around things they can plug into for free. I mean, that makes me wonder how an initiative like first sort of differentiates in that field it's interesting in the u.s um i think first is surviving in many ways in spite of the school system i run a club eight teams total four first check challenge and four first lego league and then we're starting a first lego league junior team which starts at age six so the first programs actually cover from age six to 18 and what i see is our club is open to any kid who wants to come and we do that such that we want to have every, every kid have opportunity. And a lot of schools don't have a, a program or they actually make it harder because like they'll, they'll tell the school system will say, we're going to do this. And you lucky teacher are going to get to be the person that's in charge of it. And you're not going to get extra pay and you're not going to get extra time and you have to figure it out, but you, you're expected to do this. And what that means is you have a teacher who's already overworked, underpaid, and stressed, getting more work and not giving the support that they need to actually make it work. Because it does take a number of people to help support this team of whatever level. There are school systems that have embraced it. And what they find is like, in fact, there are, there's a couple of schools that have totally changed the curriculum to be more like first, where the kids are given problems rather than pouring knowledge into their heads and they're finding that it's revolutionizing their, their education system. What would you say to parents who are right now, perhaps like me, who've recently watched a documentary on gaming. Um, I watched one on Netflix the other day and I just thought the overarching narrative in that particular um, documentary was that this is just incredible for your kid. Like they learn so much from it and how amazing that people can make all this crazy money, like competing in, in sort of leagues and things of that nature. It made me really wonder about some of the subtle narratives we're telling kids about, you know, how they can harness digital tools and platforms to, to do stuff they love, but also do useful things for the planet. Um, so I, it's not just gaming. It's kids wanting to be YouTubers now and everyone wants to be an influencer and, you know, everyone wants to buy sneakers and trade them. Speak to a parent here whose kid is 
is is making an argument for the, a, a new PlayStation or a new Xbox on the basis of this is going to change my life. I'm learning critical skills. You know, I could make a lot of money. There's these amazing leagues I could join. Watch this documentary, mom. I had that child. Actually. You had that child? I have three of them. And interestingly, I've also been interested in brain science and they have found that it actually changes the way they think. So that is true what they say in some ways. However, playing video games isn't going to impress. That's not going to cure cancer. That's not going to do a lot of the things that, that when they get older, they're going to want to have. So I would argue that, yeah, go for it, play games, but do first. Because first does challenge them. It is truly the hardest fun you'll ever have. And it, it challenges everyone to stretch and grow and to be better people, not just play a game. They are playing a game with a robot. Every, every program has a new game every year. And so I, I think there's a balance that has to be drawn and every family and every parent has to figure out that balance. But, it's really easy to get sucked into the world of video games and not really be in the world. And I see too many kids that get into that place. Yeah, I mean, I obviously grew up in a world that didn't necessarily celebrate or help a child or young people in general pursue their strengths or might have even looked down on the notion that you could enjoy what you do with, mm. with, <laughs> you know, career wise, you know, that the notion that, you know, your work was meant to be enjoyed was, was pretty much not taboo, but certainly not a, a common view. So, th- but I feel like the, the pendulum has swung all the, all the way in the opposite direction where it's like fun at, at every cost. And yeah. And I, I suppose it just concerns me that, you know, also the amount of time required to sort of master say minecraft to the point where you can do it competitively or whatever like i don't know that pound for pound it's the best use of any child's time however good they get um as far as like improving their skills critical reasoning strategy or whatever it is you think they're getting from it i would agree in fact i would i would toss that same i would toss the video game industry and the video gaming like competitive video gaming into the same category as the arts and entertainment I mean, arts and, and sports, professional sports. Yeah, you can go pro, although the reality is not that many people actually do, considering the number of people that play those games. Only so many Oscars every year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And every kid can go pro in engineering or science. And, you know, the reality is they're going to want to be doing things that are really, really cool. And the only way to get to those really, really cool things is to do something that is in the real physical world. And like some of the kids that I've worked with are now working at SpaceX or at Blue Origin or at Lockheed Martin or all these different companies that are actually now seeking out. We actually have companies like those that come to the first championships to recruit their these high school kids for their companies in future. So I want to close this conversation for that was a, that's kind of a mic drop moment the way you just dropped those names I'm sure people are, if they weren't listening at all through this conversation when they heard those names they're like wait a, a minute uh, maybe I'll be signing up so I'm intrigued by how you have a history in theater and the arts I'm curious to know how that went and and and, and certainly the role of your of a first in I suppose turning you entrepreneurial in some sense, or maybe that was something you had before, and 
and yeah, what muscles you sort of had to build as you transitioned from the world of theater into what you now do, or perhaps what things you've, you've found handy from that world to sort of advance your, your cause today. Well, when I started in theater, I chose theater because, like I said, my school, the, the college I went to did not have any engineering. And Where'd you go? I went to American University which is in Washington, D.C. And I went there thinking I was going to do international relations because I've always had a very global focus. And what I realized is that I hate politics. I hate politics so much. I don't appreciate people being two-faced and lying. And that seems to be a lot of politics. So I dropped that, went to business. That didn't work. And I was hanging out in the theater department because I could build stuff. They were building sets and I could help. So I did that a lot. And finally, somebody, the technical director said, you do realize you can declare a major in this. And I went, oh, yeah, I guess I could. So I declared my major and I stage managed. And I was a stage manager. We did touring shows and dance programs and all kinds of stuff. And I stage managed all those things. And I learned a lot about management and organization and supporting people in a way that will keep them calm and happy because, frankly, actors are prima donnas in a lot of ways. Um, so those skills came in handy when I transitioned, when I went to helping running a team because I was doing the same things. I was trying to keep the prima donnas all happy as they were, they were like squirrels because I had nine-year-olds and I had 12, 13-year-olds and they're like different, two different planets that at those different, those ages and getting them to work together as a team was a challenge. But I worked professionally in theater for a couple of years and my last professional job, I earned a dollar a day, which was not even enough to pay for parking, much less food. And thankfully I was married to a man who was in tech. And so I stopped that, had kids and always played with tech because I wanted to be engaged and understanding what my husband was doing. So he tried to teach me uh, C++ programming at one point and turns out that's not a really good choice when you're pregnant. Because the brain doesn't work quite the same. <laughs> okay, so I'm told. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I but I've I learned to speak tech really, and and because I could speak tech, I got more and more people in the tech industry talking to me, and I learned more. And then I got into first, and then I learned even more. And I I'm the first to say that I am not a programmer. I am not an engineer, but I think I'm learning to think more like those engineers, and so. Being able to speak what I, I consider two different languages, the arts and, inter and, and technology, they tie together really well. And it's just a matter of helping the engineers to get over themselves and understand that. And so that's sort of my transition. Not enough is spoken about, about sort of the transferability of various things you can learn from, from various schools of academic learning, various professional backgrounds. Um, yeah, so this, it fascinates me when I meet people who reinvent themselves, perhaps in more unexpected ways, sometimes even low-key ways that often go unnoticed. And I imagine that a lot of people will be surprised when they meet you that, as I was, that, you know, you have a theater background and some people are surprised that I do too or uh, and that kind of thing. So it's really fascinating to hear how you transition from one thing to the next and how things... And I encourage everyone listening as well to to think about life in that way. And thank you so much for um, being on the show. Um, we've, we've started publishing other podcasts, but you're the first person I've had a live chat with this year. And so no one can take that away from you. Um, so congratulations for what it's worth. You get an interview. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, really, congratulations. Thank you very much for being here. So um, if you want information about where First is currently located in the world, you can go to a website called firstinspires.org. And they have on that website, you can learn about all the programs as well as where there are partners. So if there's a partner even near your country, go for it. Look them up. Ask them to help you get it started in your country. Um, I do know that Uganda has a, has at least one team. They have a program that was started by a team in our, we're in Seattle area. Zimbabwe just, their first global team just started a first robotics team. So they're getting involved even more. They were at the world championships. Uh, Kenya has, has a program and they, they cover most of that part of Africa as well, from what I understand. So it is available. Don't be afraid. Heidi Lovett of Swerve Robotics, thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me.